Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the word of God. Thank you, Brother Gleason. What a joy to be in this church and what a moving time we've already felt in the Holy Ghost and your burden, your response. This church has left deep footprints many, many places in the world. And uh, we thank God for the folks that you've sent and are sending. I think there's some more missionaries standing here. Amen. And certainly your giving has, has blessed the work of God around the world. God bless you, each one. It's a joy to be with you, and we count it a great honor and privilege to be with you. Gleason's, we love them, and what a great, great pastor. You have a whole pastoral team that you have. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen. Thank God. Thank God. God bless you. You may be seated. Amen. And now even retired missionaries are finding homes here. <laughs> Amen. They're not for retirement. That guy's been busy. Brother Nick's has been busier than than before. I think. <laughs> Bless them. They're great, great servants of the Lord, and we love them. Amen. I want my wife to greet you, speak to us what's on her heart. Praise the Lord. It's so good to be with you this morning. We love this church. Thank you for supporting us. We love Brother and Sister Gleason. They're just some of our most amazing friends. And they've blessed us through the years just by being who they are. And I, I feel really humbled this morning to, to see what you're doing as a congregation and thinking that everything I have, all the food we ate and the clothes on our back are given to us by God's people. All I can say is thank you, because through you, we can take what we have and give it to somebody else. And sometimes it's a challenge when you go into countries that maybe there's no missionary, or maybe there is. I remember the first time I went into a Muslim country, I looked around, and I felt that heaviness. And I said, God, how is this fair that it's against the law to tell these people about you? I come from a country where... It was handed to me on a silver platter. My grandmother got the Holy Ghost in 1932. My parents, a lot of support. And these people have nobody, nobody to pray for them. How is it fair, Lord? How can we do it? And I heard him speak, and he said, if you'll do your part, I'll do my part. And I said, okay, Lord, I can pray. But I want to see them saved, and I want... I want to witness to one of them and see them saved, and I don't know how. I don't know their language. I don't know their culture, and it's against the law. But I want you to open the door and let me see a Muslim person saved. Later, as time went on, we were in the country of Malaysia. We were up in a tea plantation, and there were a couple of other couples up there. I knew they weren't from Malaysia. We just started talking about where we're from, what, what we were doing, and... Um, and they asked what we were doing. We said, we're here teaching the Bible. And um, they said they were from the country of Iran. I said, are you Muslim? And they said, yes. And so I just, I didn't think a lot about it because I know that 
you have to be very careful. If they open the door, it's okay. But I, it, it's more scary to open the door yourself. So I just stood, I stood up to take pictures when one of the ladies approached me. She said, could I ask you a question in private? I said, sure. She said, I can't let my husband hear or the other family that we're with, not even my children. But I want to ask you a question. She said, is Jesus God? I said, oh, let me tell you about him. I said, first of all, I want you to know that there is only one God. But God made himself a body, came to earth and walked among us. And that name Jesus means God has become my salvation. God is our salvation. I said, so yes, Jesus is God. And she said, I thought so because he came to me in a dream. She said he was dressed in white and there was an angel on each side of him. They had pictures of gold with water in the pictures and they poured it on my head. And she said, I didn't understand that. And nobody has been able to tell me what it means. And she said, I, I began to doubt that it was even God when he came again. The same dream came to me. So I wanted to ask you. I said, okay. I said I'm going to tell you now what your dream means. I said, first of all, God loves you. He has called you. He has chosen you. I said, in the Bible, water is symbolic of the spirit of God. God wants to pour his spirit in you and come and live inside of you, not just be someone that you pray that's a long ways away. He wants to be your God and live inside. And tears came in her eyes. She said, oh, I've got to know more. Please tell me more. Please give me a contact number where I can find out more. Well, I was shaking by this time because I knew God was answering my prayer. And uh, I was able to give her contact number. We had to leave the next day, but of the, of the general superintendent in Malaysia, his wife, she contacted them about three weeks later and went for a Bible study and understood because God had revealed himself to her already. And she was baptized that day in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. And a little later, Anita was filled with the Holy Ghost. And, you know, her husband didn't believe it, and he told her to quit talking about it. And he said, I won't take you there. You'll have to get a taxi. He wasn't fighting her totally, but he did. He, he persecuted her. He's put her in the hospital three times. But she's so strong in God because of that experience of being filled with the Holy Ghost that she's bold. She's bolder than I would be possibly to tell people from her country. And she began even, we gave her a search for truth Bible study and she was able, or the, the material, she was able to begin teaching people in Iran on the internet. And she saw at least 12 of them baptized in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. And she's, she's going on and on. And she was, she, they lost their visa and had to go back to the country of Iran where she is now. It's very hard for her. She has, doesn't have a church. She doesn't have a family that believes. Her, her father-in-law wants to kill her. But she's still brave. She said, I have to pray about who I talk to. But there are still open hearts. And I reached out to her this morning. And, uh, and she said, please, the way she says it, please put me in pray. She said, God is working in this country. And there's just so much you can say over the Internet, right? So I don't know what all is happening, but I know that God is working through her to win people that I can't win. 
And I thank God for the way he moves through whoever is willing. It doesn't matter where we go. It doesn't matter who we are. We can pray right here and God can move around the world. It doesn't matter. All it matters is that we're given instruments to him. Just give yourself to him and don't worry about how it's going to happen. Say, God, I'm yours. Use me, open me. Get in tune with him every day and listen to what he tells you to do, where he tells you to go. If he calls you, he's got the road paved already. He knows, and you don't have to worry. You don't have to be afraid. And I know that we're human, and I know that I've had moments where I thought, God, how can I, do, how can I go into a war-torn country? How can I take my children there? I might live in an adobe hut. That doesn't matter to me, but how can I raise my three kids like that? It was so beautiful the way he talked to me and told me, if you'll go. Well, I did put the brakes on a little bit. And then, and then I was in a conference where Sister Ewing was doing like a, I don't know what to call it, but like a one-person drama. But she was like taking her child Samuel back to the temple, giving him to the Lord. And I began to weep. And I said, God, it's so hard, but I'm just giving them to you. He said, If you want to stay in America, I'll let you. But if you will go, I will take care of your children. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. I said, Lord, yes, because I can't take care of my children all the time, even in America. I trust them to you forever. And that's why, because when he asks you to do something, it looks like a sacrifice on one side. On the other side, it's blessings after blessings after blessings. We've seen thousands and thousands and thousands of people filled with the Holy Ghost, not because we gave it to anybody, but because we're willing to tell people, even in the hard times. Thank you so much for giving that we can go. You've supported us for a long time. Thank you for giving that other people from this church can go and your pastor can go, and for all that you do that is truly only going to be seen. The reward is going to be seen in heaven. God bless you. We love you. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Amen. The Lord is so good. We're thankful that. Amen. Our three children are serving the Lord and strong in their faith. And our ten grandchildren have all received the Holy Ghost. Amen. All baptized in Jesus' name. And uh, they are serving the Lord. And uh, even little Monty, the youngest one, he, he loves to witness. And they're, of course, um, with their parents as missionaries in Spain. But, uh, oh, thank God, our <clears throat> oldest daughter's oldest daughter and her second daughter, have, they go to a, a Christian school in Chicago where they live. It's very well known, high academics. It's the largest Christian school in the, in, in the city. But she had a burden to, you know, reach other students with this wonderful gospel. And so she requested for just a time before class to have a prayer meeting on campus and uh, and the principal gave her permission to do that and started with one student and it grew and uh, kept growing turned into a p7 group she was i think she was only 12 at the time and uh, and it 
it grew, and many of those students and their parents have received the Holy Ghost and been baptized. Praise God. So we're so thankful that, that our, our kids, too, catch the vision of what they can do for the Lord wherever, wherever they are. There's no closed doors in front of us. Amen. And so what a, what a blessing it is to serve the Lord in whatever capacity we find ourselves. And so uh, if, if you would like to turn in your Bibles with me, I will turn to a very familiar passage of Scripture. Jesus himself is reading in Luke chapter 4. And uh, he, he had gone to the synagogue in his hometown. And if you'd stand with me, start at verse 17. It says, And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Amen. Amen. I believe that that same anointing is upon the church in this very hour. Amen. That we must preach the gospel to the poor and to bring healing to the brokenhearted, deliverance to the captives. We are certainly living in a world that needs their sight recovered spiritually. Amen. As well as physically and to set at liberty so many that are bruised and hurting. Oh, friend of mine, the mission of the church has not changed. It's still the same and will be until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, your presence is here. Your spirit is already ministered, Lord. God, and we just thank you for your word, what you're doing in men's lives in this hour in which we live. Have your way in this service. God, as, as your word goes forth, we pray in Jesus' name. God bless you. Amen. You can be seated. Thank God for his presence. Amen. And I can tell you that as, as a missionary, the main focus, of course, is always a soul, hurting people. And they're everywhere. There is no lack. The same problem that Jesus, you know, clarified to his disciples is the same today. There's no lack of harvest. He said the harvest is plenteous. But the problem is the same. The labors are few. And, uh, and so he didn't say the members were necessarily too few, but the labors. And so... We've got to become laborers in the kingdom together with him so that his word can go forth. There is definitely a famine in our world for the word of the Lord. And it is the answer for, for what men need. 
it really holds the answers. Though people are turning away thinking that it's not relative to today. But how many have found the word of the Lord very relative every moment of your day? Praise God as the Lord speaks. I can tell you that the word of God just, it, it propels us forward. When we first went to El Salvador uh, to, to labor there, uh, we, we set up a church planting program and actually established their, their internal missions uh, department and helped them get started with the vision of raising funds just like we do here through PIMs and helping uh, the missions department send home missionaries to raise up new churches. And we set up a total church planting program. We would, I had two tents that were uh, purchased for us when we went there to use as evangelistic tents. Yeah, they were large. One would seat about 500, one uh, close to 300. And uh, we used those tents to not only help start new churches, but also help churches in their growth. And we set up a program of about six months of, of labor centered around those tent meetings, tent crusades, if you wanted to call them. We would do three months up front of evangelism prayer, through prayer evangelism and then Bible study, personal Bible study evangelism, sometimes knocking doors, using questionnaires to open the conversation and and uh, doing Bible studies with people. And then we would bring in the tent after three months of that type of focus and bombarding uh, with prayer and, and the Word of God. We would bring the tent in for a week to two weeks and have a harvest of what we had been planting. And then we would continue to work uh, in that area for about three more months, helping them with discipleship having teams that were, were helping that new pastor that was established. And, uh, and while we were paying for him to be able to work and live and have a, a rental place to, to start their church, amen. And, uh, and so that would go on for a year as they would get on their feet and move forward. But uh, one of the churches, we were just in El Salvador and just got back from El Salvador this, this week. This, this past week, and it was a joy to go back. We have been back a few times. They do not have a missionary. The last missionary, Brother Ken Burgess, uh, moved to Spain several years back after building a beautiful Bible school and national office uh, complex, and uh, we thank God for that. They made tremendous strides forward for that work in the few years that they were there, and uh, but we were able to, to go back, visit a church that we had helped start through that tent ministry some 31 years ago. And it was in the midst of the war, and I was traversing that country, uh, keeping two tents busy and, and teams teaching on evangelism, training people to do that kind of work, and, uh, and very, very busy, but I, on, the, on the Pan American Highway, leaving towards the east in El Salvador, it was not very long out of the capital, and getting into kind of a, a less populated area, I would always pass this, this highway sign that had the name of a town, 
was called Suchitoto, and it was, and, and then it told 19 kilometers. And I would pass that sign, and it would haunt me because I knew we had no church there. And uh, I knew that there were people there, and we were called to take the gospel to them. So I began to somewhat investigate a little bit about Suchitoto. It was in the militarized zone. It was under attack. The commandante in that community personally told me that it was under attack on average twice weekly. And it was, so it was just uh, very dangerous. And the people, when, we, when I first went to Suchitoto to spy it out and I took uh, one of the district superintendents with me that was over that area. And we went in. We had, to get, we had to get permits from the military to even get in, go through three military checkpoints to drive into that community. And, uh, and when we got there, it was nothing like the rest of Latin America that we knew. It wasn't festive. People were not hardly in the streets. Even the market was not open. It was in a closed area, and people would just dart from their homes and to the places they needed to go. It was just so different in the feeling of oppression that was over that community. Many people had fled uh, during, the, during the war. We had just come through one of the major and now called the last offensive in that country when we too had been evacuated out of the country after 14 hours under gunfire in our own home and grenade blowing up on our driveway and those it was all out war in the streets and God showed his hand so strong and, and so miraculous in all of that in fact I'll just mention our car that was the closest thing to that that grenade explosion on our driveway uh, there were concrete uh, pits in the concrete of that carport where the car sat from the shrapnel from that explosion. Even the front window of my daughter's bedroom was blown out and, and from that explosion. And that car sat there the closest to that. And there was not one mark on that vehicle. There were impacts from bullets that had actually gone, you know, hit our, we had over 40 bullet holes in our front gate, just a sheet metal uh, gate. And uh, some of those impacts had gone and struck the, the door, the metal door that was in front of that car. I tried to figure out the trajectory of those bullets without passing through that vehicle. And there, it was impossible, but there was not a mark on that vehicle. Not a glass. And then I had driven in with the, the school bus that we had, one of the tents in and all the equipment. And we rented a lot in the center of the city, but fighting had broken out there and I could not take that bus to its rented parking area. And I had to drive it home and set it on the street while all this was going on because I had no place else to put it. That bus had sat out in the street at, through that whole thing. Every vehicle in our neighborhood that was even visible was on the street, was blown up, burned up, or shot to pieces through, even through the bars of, of closed uh, carports. And, and 
yet that bus sitting out there on the street. At one point, I got crazy enough to look over the wall to see if it was, you know, smoldering still. And there was the bus sitting, and there were, there were subversive troops hiding behind the huge wheels on that bus, shooting at soldiers down just a block away as they were trying to re-liberate our area that had been taken over by the, the communist-backed uh, guerrilla movement. And I thought, oh my, it's going to be a disaster. But afterwards, not a glass was broke. Nothing was taken. I couldn't find one mark on that bus. How in the world? But over and over, God gave us comfort and signs like that, that he was taking care of us. Amen. Suchi Toto, I couldn't get it off my heart. When I, when I talked to the, the superintendent, the district superintendent over that area, he felt the same. In fact, uh, one Sunday at his church, a lady showed up who was from that city. They had fled. Her husband owned the, the gasoline station, the one gasoline station there. It was closed up. They had fled for their lives and left everything behind and were living in the capital and happened to show up at church the Sunday I was there and talked to us about Suchi Toto. So him and I went, got the permits, and went in to see what it was like, talk to people, and we felt assured that it was the will of God. And so I began to make preparations. We began to get permits, go in and out, and, and people began to go in, churches that were close by, even Bible school students, going in, doing evangelism, and we found open doors. People desperately in need of God and wanted something and receiving Bible studies, responding. So finally, when the day came, we were going to take that tent in and set it up. I don't know what happened. We drove in. We had permits. We drove in. And when we got there, half the tent was missing. One of the, the, our generators had been stolen. I don't know how or when it happened. It was all there when we left, but it wasn't there when we got there. And, uh, but the guy that worked alongside of me was so determined. He said, we'll tie this tent to that telephone post and we're going to put up half the tent. And we did. We did. And when we, the first service that week, uh, I went back in. We had, we had a, I, we had a preacher that was named to preach and, and, there were five buses. We had permits for five buses from different churches with music team and everything. We were going to have a big splash in Suchi Toto. Well, the military checkpoints refused four of those buses, and only one made it in and myself. And that was the preacher and 30 of his saints on that bus and me in my vehicle. There was no music. That's a disaster in Latin America. And uh, we tried to sing a cappella. I don't think it passed the, the, the top of the tent. But it was just, it, it, it seemed like a disaster. All the visitors that 
said they were coming, nobody showed up. In fact, the streets were so empty and it was so oppressive. I don't know. I've never heard, never heard whether they had a threat of some attack or something, but it was there. Nobody showed up except those 30 people from the preacher's church. And he was an ex-military guy himself, and he was determined. He preached like there was a thousand, and then gave an altar call like it was full of sinners. And, of course, nobody moved. And when he got done forcefully giving that altar call, he gave it a second time, more forceful and more determined than the time before. It was so convicting that I thought maybe I better go to the altar. But none of us moved. And then, as if he had lost his mind, he gave that altar call the third time. Something happened I've never seen before nor since. But on the opposite side, on two sides of where we were in that little park, right in front of the military installation, there were homes. And when he finished that altar call the third time, nine people opened their doors and came out of their homes directly to that altar in repentance unto the Lord. Before that week was over, we had baptized 27. And the church was born. The pastor that we had put in and presented to that community is still there after 31 years with a wonderful church, a wonderful building, a great congregation. And from that church, he has daughter worked several other churches and is planning a new one now. Amen. Praise God. I can tell you, amen, that God, God is a miracle working God. At Comandante, talked to me afterwards, and he, he told us, he told me that in those two weeks that we were there with that tent, there was not one attack. Amen. That everything stayed calm. Wow. I can tell you, you can trust the Lord. When he tells you to go, speak to a person, do it boldly, amen, knowing that the Spirit of God is upon you. He's anointed you to preach the gospel. Tell somebody the good news, amen, that will bring them out of their spiritual poverty and will set their, their heart free, will heal their hurts and open their eyes. Thank God for a wonderful gospel. Jesus said, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Today is a very special day in a Jewish calendar. Today is the 29th of the sixth month, Elul. Now, in modern Israel, they're calling tomorrow, which actually starts at 6 p.m. tonight, at sunset, the Rosh Hashanah, which means the head of the year or the their new year. But that celebration literally came out of Babylon and was not fully endorsed until, until 
well after the first century. But in Jesus' time, the new year was the first of, of Aviv or Nisan, and uh, it is in the spring of the year, which is somewhat amazing to me that God set his new year, explained to us in, in Exodus 12, in the spring when everything is budding and becoming new. You know, our new year's in the dead of winter, everything's dead <laughs> and getting worse. <laughs> but uh, God's new year is a time of new birth. Amen. And, and so the sixth month is the month of finalizing the harvest season in the agricultural year. And uh, the seventh month, which actually begins tonight in the first of uh, the Tishri or Ethanim in biblical month, Tishri and some of the names come out of their Babylonian captivity or are not. Jewish names, but Bible names. Anyway, that that is the seventh month. It is the month of th- three festivals. It starts with the Feast of Trumpets, which now they call Rosh Hashanah, but in in the Scripture, it's the Feast of Trumpets. And uh, and then on the tenth day of that month, just eleven days, ten and a half days from now, will be the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur. And then following Yom Kippur, four days later, begins the the celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles, their remembrance of wandering in the wilderness. And the whole month, being the seventh month, is really a sabbatical month that they are not to hardly work. They're supposed, because the harvest is over, their work is over, they're supposed to celebrate. In retrospect, in purification and repentance, and in celebration of the blessings that God has given them. Amen. But the 29th day of Elul is a very special day right now. It is the day of the year. The harvest has been tallied. It's all finished. They are looking forward to what is about to transpire that evening, but it's on that day that the priests on the Shemitah years or the seventh year, seventh year of each sabbatical season of years, they not only keep the Sabbath on the seventh day, but they were to keep the Sabbath, a sabbatical year after seven years, the seventh year. And then after seven, seven Weeks or seven years, seven sevens, 49 years, a sabbatical year, then they were to celebrate Jubilee, the 50th year following. By all Jewish, most of Jewish commentators and literature will tell you that this is the Shemitah, the close of the Shemitah year of this last seven. And tomorrow begins the year of Jubilee. When Jesus said the acceptable year of the Lord, if you will study that phrase, it means the year of Jubilee. That he came to proclaim. When we read about what that means, well, the scripture tells us 
The scripture tells us that this, this Shemitah year, they were to, every seventh year, they were to cancel the debts on the 29th of Elul. It would be declared. And if you were in debt to someone, your debt was canceled. So there was never a loan that lasted past seven years. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine if you got home and you found a letter in the mailbox and the bank said, you know that uh, mortgage you've been paying on for the last seven years? Zero. It's been taken care of. Woo. That sounds like, wow, tremendous blessing. And so on the seventh year, but when the seventh seven would come and then a year of jubilee would follow. It was on the 29th of Elul that not only were the debts canceled, but any property that had been sold from your family inheritance to maybe pay a debt or do something was given back to the original owners and family so that they would never lose their heritage in Israel. Praise God. And not only that, if there had been children sold into slavery or to labor to pay off debts, they were set free. Amen. And any slave that was even from other nations was set free at Jubilee. Amen. Jesus came to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Amen. What does that mean? All these things, according to the scripture, typify to us what was go- Jesus was going to do. The law prophesied until John, and it all spoke, according to Jesus, about him and his ministry and what he would do. Thank God. What message we have to bring as a missionary. We step into a country to declare the acceptable year of the Lord. Freedom for those that are enslaved by sin. Liberty to them that are bound and bruised. Amen. Thank God healing to that broken heart and opening of sight to the blind to see the living way. That God has opened unto us as mankind. Oh, thank God for a gospel that really works. We're not talking about a half gospel or a gospel that just leaves you in your sin proclaiming forgiveness. Oh, no. It's going to take you into a new lifestyle. It's going to take you, hallelujah, out of the past. Amen. And give you power to overcome sin. Oh, thank God the gospel is not just the death of Jesus on the cross. No, it's the death, burial, and resurrection that is reenacted in our life. Thank God we have a message to declare to the nations. It's a joy to be able to go into even those closed countries and to present the gospel that will set them free. I shared with, with the adult class this morning how that five years ago, well, God began to deal with us 
longer than that, about a nation. We were, we were teaching and preaching on two sides of that nation and uh, in another country. But every time I asked about who was preaching in that country, they said, it's closed. We've never gone there. And they told us scary horror, horror stories about, about that country. Illegal to convert anybody. But that didn't give it, set us free from the burden we felt. And I knew if God could do it in Suchi Toto, amen, he could do it in that nation. And so I, we, we began to pray. We began to look for contacts, began to ask around to other Islamic nations if they had contacts in there because there's always interchange. But no one came up with anything tangible. And so finally, my, my wife and I, we said, we've got to form a prayer team and go in and do prayer walks. We have found that prayer walking is one of the most powerful tools of evangelism. It will open doors. When God told Abraham to lift his eyes and look in every direction, then he told him, now, go in and plant your feet. And wherever your, your foot is planted, I'm going to give you that territory. Oh, friend, it's not for us. We're proclaiming that territory for the kingdom of God in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. And we went in from the west side and drove all the way to the east side. Amen. And we went north and south and we began to talk to people praying. And the most strange thing was we didn't feel resistance, any kind of spiritual resistance, but an open door when we drove across that border. Hallelujah. We even stood outside in front of the Sultan's palace and even at one point laid hands on the gates. Could have got shot for that. But the guards just smiled and looked on. And we felt no resistance. And uh, we're still praying. I believe that someday that sultan will be confronted with the truth. I believe that. But to make a long story short, it was two weeks after that, speaking on a university campus, that that... A young girl in the mixed Christian student group on that campus in another country came to us and said, I want you to meet my parents. They are underground pastors in this country. We met them. We got to go in and preach to that underground church in a home. About 25 people there. The Spirit of God was poured out. God did miracles and we began to share the truth with that pastor. And he received the truth. He began to open doors with, with the other pastors. And, and we spoke in a, in a more of a charismatic church that was in a legal uh, Protestant building. And uh, we were able to share the truth with, with them, baptize all of him, him and his wife and his leadership. And even the, the pastor over that Protestant non-charismatic church, very traditional, was happened to be in that service. And, and she, a lady, the bishop over all of that, that Protestant church, the legal Protestant church in that whole country, came to my wife and I said, I want to meet you. And uh, 
and for at your hotel tomorrow, she came and she said, I want to receive the Holy Ghost. Gave her a quick Bible study and prayed her through to the Holy Ghost in our hotel room. Praise God. There is no closed doors. In the meantime, somebody contacted us that had heard about us and here they were in the country eight years, a Jamaican couple. And we, they were discouraged, blocked out. Try, they were apostolic. They were trying to share the truth. I think it was their prayers that opened the doors. But they were discouraged, kicked out of every congregation they tried to share with. But we got them all fired up, got them in, in contact and attending some, some of the churches across the border. And they got all fired up and God opened, began to open the doors to them. And they began to baptize pastors. Amen. And uh, we were able to start a church in their home. And it's still ongoing through COVID. We left there in February 2020 and have not been able to get back in. And, but the church is going on. They've had to function mostly online during this whole time. There's still very restricted uh, entrances into that border because of still of the pandemic. But uh, pray for that nation and that we can soon go back in there and uh, Kind of pick up where we left off. Amen. But church is ongoing. Thank God. A miracle. And the UPC, UPCI has been established in that country. Amen. We've got people now trained, ready to receive license. And uh, we want all that to happen so we can move forward. Praise God. There is no closed door. I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. We talked about Antioch being such a sending, sending church. Amen. I got to minister in ancient Antioch, the Bible Antioch. And we were asked by your missionaries, darling Jonathan Sherry, to come and teach a leadership conference. They had been there for... Uh, a, a year going on two years and had been found open doors but had not seen converts as of yet and uh, they but they had open doors with with uh, the Christian community in the area and so they asked us to come teach a a leadership conference to uh, the Christian community most of them would be underground pastors but it was in the legal Protestant church in Antioch and uh, that pastor, they had found great favor with him. And, and so we went. We got there a few days early. And uh, the Lord had really dealt with me about what to teach. Not just Christian leadership. That would be part of it. But to, to teach on the revelation of Jesus uh, in this hour. And... Uh, and so in the mornings, I would teach on, on Christian leadership in the afternoons in the conference on, on, you know, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the Lord just outlined to me uh, what to, how to present this. And so when I got there, when we got there a couple days early, uh, Jonathan and, and uh, Darla introduced us 
to our translator. He was a hired translator, and he was a Muslim, which shocked me because in uh, that country in particular, for what I was going to say, if uh, he wanted to, he could probably cut my head off. And here, here he was going to translate what I was going to say. Plus, there were underground pastors who were working illegally, and yet they were going to be in that meeting exposed to, to a Muslim translator. And so it was, I, I, was, I was a little nervous. But I had two days with him, and I sat down and began to talk to him and, uh, and witness to him the way that I do with Muslims. And thank God for this little sister speaking Farsi. Uh, on different campuses, I've gotten to sit down with many Iranian students and uh, share the Bible with them and uh, found out they really don't want to be Muslim. They're Persian. They're not Arab. Islam is an Arabic religion in their thinking, and it doesn't belong to them, but they're forced to be that. But So it's a wide open door. But anyway, in Antioch... Um, you know, because of witnessing to them, I sat down with, with this, this guy and began to share with him out of the Quran uh, things that it said about Jesus. And uh, I built a bridge with them, starting with the Quran and showing them what it says, because the Quran talks more about Jesus than anybody else. Actually, the Quran mentions Jesus by name some 25 times. It mentions him as the son of Mary some 60 times, and she's the only woman in the entire Quran. And it tells about the virgin birth, tells about his miracle ministry. He is a prophet, and he is even called Messiah many, many times. And so uh, they believe he is coming back as Messiah, and uh, he will some crazy reason, he changed religions in their thinking, and he's going to set up Islam when he comes back in the world. I say, you know, that's kind of funny. Why would Jesus change religions when he set up true Christianity the first time he came? Why would he set up something different when he comes back? And so that always is a puzzling question to them. And uh, so anyway talking to him about these things, I found him much more open than I expected. In fact, at one point he said, you remind me of, of when my grandfather would talk to me. And I thought, well, maybe I look like his grand, granddad, you know, but he, he was more open. But when that session started the first day, talked about leadership, he was a fantastic translator. He would kind of just stand back and he actually had the Bible on his phone and would use his phone to help him. And that second session, afternoon sessions, as I began to go through John chapter 7 and talk about Jesus' revelation, self-revelation to the city of Jerusalem at the challenge of his own brothers, he went to Jerusalem to present himself to the, the religious leaders, and he was bold about it. I mean, that's, that's the passage that uh, that he even comes in chapter 8 and says, Before Abraham was, I am. And so I'm going through that, and all of a sudden, I'm not 30 minutes 
into this, this preaching about Jesus and the Holy Ghost moved in so powerfully in that meeting and people were responding and, and the Spirit of God was moving and all of a sudden my translator just froze. And I thought, uh-oh. And I, I wondered what was going on. Well, finally, after it seemed like several minutes of, of just silence, I, I, I turned and looked at him and he was just shaking. He was just kind of clenched and shaking. And, and uh, I said, you know, I put my hand on his shoulder. Are you okay? He said, yeah. I said, can we, can we go on? I said, yeah, yeah, okay. And so I started again, not five, ten minutes into this revelation of Jesus in the scripture and, and Jesus' self-proclaimed revelation. And, and all of a sudden, I mean, this time when the Holy Ghost moved me, it was like a bomb. It just, people just fell out. People were receiving healings and, and, and things were, and people were getting the Holy Ghost. Some of the leaders from the Protestant church received the Holy Ghost. Amen. And I mean, it was powerful. And I, I looked back at this translator and he was shaking and, uh, and tears were coming to his eyes. And my wife quickly came up and, and she said, you know, what you're feeling is just the presence of almighty God. And, and the God of heaven is touching you right now and speaking to you in your heart. And, and, and tears were welling up in his eyes. And he said, but ma'am, you don't understand. In my culture, men don't cry. And she told him, she said, but I don't see anybody from your culture in this place. It's all right. You can express how you feel. And uh, he couldn't hold it back. Amen. Second day, the same thing happened in that afternoon session. This time, this time when he, when he froze and I, I, I didn't know what was going on. And I finally turned. And when I turned to look at him, he lunged for me with both arms. And I thought, oh no, Lord, I'll see you soon. <laughs> I thought it was over. But when he grabbed me, he said, I see it. I see it. Jesus is God. This is the message that we've got to proclaim to my people and to the world. Praise God. And when I laid my hands on him, he began to speak in other tongues. And for the next 20 minutes, he was just out like a light, just talking in tongues while I just stood there and watched. Amen. And when he opened his eyes, he looked straight at me and said, what was that? He said, that wasn't Arabic. That wasn't Turkish. That wasn't English. What was that? Amen. I was glad to tell him, this is that. Amen. Oh, friend, let's stand together. I'm here to tell you that the same power of God I felt that day is right here in this house. What do you need? If you need a healing, he's a healer. It's the day of jubilee, the proclamation of jubilee, the acceptable year of the Lord. You need the Holy Ghost, he's here to fill you. It's like it's jubilee. Hallelujah. Thank God. How many have tasted of that liberty that only the Lord can give you? Thank God. Thank God. 
Oh, Jesus. So we're going to open this altar. Whatever your need is, you've freely given. You have, you have poured yourself out, but now God wants to pour himself out upon you. You need a healing. I pray. Just step out. Amen. Oh, you talk about miracles. We've seen tons of miracles. Amen. Thank God he's here. You've never yet spoken in tongues. You felt God touch your life. Or maybe you're here and you've never yet repented or surrendered your life to him. It's time to do that. It's time to do that. Praise God. Praise God. Those ministry team, prayer work, altar workers, you want to come help us here. We're going to pray and and uh, as they're coming, just invite the whole church to come. And let's just form a circle of faith around these. Amen. Amen. Someone here, you've never yet received the Holy Ghost? Never yet spoken in tongues? You just you lift your hands. I want to receive it. Amen. Amen. God's here to do it. God's here to do it. Praise God. Praise God. I always begin by praying a prayer of repentance because that is, that's not just a one-time act. It's a daily surrender. It's a daily surrender unto the Lord. And, and that is how we approach the Lord, humbly surrendering ourselves. So let's all just pray. If you don't know how to pray, you can follow my prayer. But most of all, from your heart, Express unto God, surrendering Him, yourself, your life, your body, everything about you unto Him, making Him Lord, truly Lord and King. Oh, Lord Jesus, we come before you. God, we know that we have failed. There's nothing in us that deserves what you have done or given. Lord, we come humbly before you in openness confessing our sin our failures our weaknesses Lord Jesus but knowing that you went to the cross to shed your blood to pay the price and the salary of our sin Lord you took death itself for us in our place and so Jesus we come as you nailed our sins to your cross Lord, we come and deliver them to you. Not to pick them back up, but to leave them at your feet. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Work your work. We pray in our lives. We open the door of our heart to you. Lord, that you can become our Lord and King, our Savior. Oh, Lord Jesus. And our, and our God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. As you pray that prayer, you just feel like you're unloading upon him. It's the witness of his blood. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord, we give ourselves to you. Now, would you just lift your hands and begin to thank him for the provision that he made? Oh, Lord Jesus, in giving yourself the way you drink it in. He said, if any man thirsts, let him come and drink. Is to worship and, and to praise him. Give him honor, declaring him as Lord. Put him on the throne of your heart and life. 
Hallelujah. As you praise and exalt him for who he is. Lord, you are God. You are the Lord. You are King and Savior. Lord, and I worship you from the bottom of my heart. Jesus. 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 Call upon his name. Jesus. Thank you for paying the price for my sin. Thank you for forgiveness of my sin. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord Jesus. Lord, and I drink of your presence. What you're feeling is the Holy Ghost. It's the Spirit of God moving on the deep, deepest part of you. That's where the feeling begins, in the deepest part of your being. And as you're worshiping him, it's just going to fill up. As you're honoring him, it's just going to continue to fill you till it overflows. The speaking in tongues is the overflow. It's not the infilling, it's the overflowing. Amen. Be filled with the Spirit of God. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. By the authority of the Lord, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. And let it overflow. Praise God. Oh, his power is in this house. Let's worship him again with our hands uplifted. Praise the Lord. Jesus is here. Jesus is here. There's healing in the house. You that have come needing a touch in your body. Oh, it doesn't matter what the diagnosis is. Oh, thank God. It was nailed to the cross. He took it for you. Oh, in the name of Jesus, be made whole. Curse that thing. I cast it out of that body right now in the name of Jesus. Sickness, you have no right to stay any longer. You don't belong to us. In Jesus' name. Weakness, go as the strength of the Lord comes. Body be made whole. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah. That's the Holy Ghost. Just go speak it out. Amen. Everything is in that river. Everything is in that river. Let the river flow. It's in that river. Praise God. The healing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Thank you, Lord. These young people. to this message. For more content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at the Life Church KC. Reference the episode notes for more details.